Evidence-Based Funding, How Is It Making a Difference in Illinois Schools? Our series continues today on the ISA Podcast. Hello, I'm Jason Neville. Today, we're once again discussing evidence-based funding. You may recall from 2018 to 2021, IASA profiled how the state's investment impacted schools and are making a different series. Today is part two of that rebooted series. My guest is Dr. Todd Hellrigel, superintendent of Midwest Central, CUSD number 191. Dr. Hellrigel, thank you for joining us. Can you share a little bit about yourself and your school district? Morning, Jason. Uh, I am going into my 30th year in education, beginning my 12th year here as superintendent at Midwest Central. We're a very rural district located in Mason and Tazewell counties. Uh, from a land perspective, we're quite large, approaching approximately 200 square miles. About 90% of our students are bus riders, and agriculture is pretty big in our district. If you've ever heard of Weaver Popcorn, they're located in our district. We grow a lot of vegetables, uh, such as pumpkins, peas, green beans, sweet corn, and popcorn. Uh, so that's a, a key uh, for our district. We're talking about evidence-based funding before EBF was passed. Can you just kind of describe the situation that your district faced? Yeah, so before uh, evidence-based funding, I started at uh, FY13 at Midwest Central, and uh, we were just beginning to come out of some financial challenges. And after my first audit experience that year, I was feeling pretty good about things. And then uh, proration hit in uh, about 2013, and I think it ended about 2017. And during that time frame, we were getting between 87 and 92% of our general state aid. So it was kind of the state's way of saying that uh, we're fully funding the district, but we're going to have to prorate the payments that you receive. Low-income districts such as ours really got hammered uh, because proration impacted the poorest districts the most. So if you look at our budget and our expenses from 2013 to 2016, we were cutting a lot of things from our from our resources. Um, our ED fund went from $8.3 million to 6.8 million. So we cut about a million and a half dollars from our budget, which meant things like teachers, textbooks, technology, um, were all being cut. So that was pretty significant. And, um, during that time, we, we completely cut our reading program. And if you go back and look at our funding from the state in 2012, we were getting about 50% of our funding from the state of Illinois. And by 2017, that had dropped to 39%. So, Putting numbers to it, um, we were losing between three hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars per year during that that period. So when evidence based funding kicked in, it really turned things around for uh, the district financially. Uh, evidence based funding, every school has an adequacy score. What was yours at the beginning of EBF, and where is it now? So we were at sixty four percent of adequacy, and this year. Uh, 2023, with the numbers that have just come out, uh, we will be at 71% of adequacy. So we're making progress. In what ways has evidence-based funding been most impactful to your district? I think one of the best things about evidence-based funding is that it focuses on enrollment and not on the, the prior average daily attendance. So whether a student's in school or not, we still have the same day-to-day expenses. And so changing that part of the formula, I think, has really helped our district um, because we're now focusing on enrollment, not necessarily ADA. In the first year, 
evidence-based funding uh, hit our district, our funding from the state jumped by approximately 400,000. So uh, if you look at our current, uh, our revenues from 2012 to current, you'll see that it's basically an upside down bell curve where there was a, a upside in 2012 and then it took a real decline between 2013 and 2017. And now we're, we're climbing back out. So this year we're actually slated to receive um, more than we did in 2012 with general state aid. And so some of the things we've been able to do, we've been able to add back some of our ancillary services for students, such as uh, nursing. Um, a lot of our students have health issues that they struggle with, and having a nurse in our buildings has really uh, benefited the kids. We've completely rebuilt our reading and intervention programs, which we had to cut during that time. Uh, we were We've been able to provide our teachers with some really great, excellent uh, professional development in math and reading. And then this year, we actually added our work-based learning program for our, our high school students to promote more college and career readiness. And then along with that, expanded our dual credit, college credit classes. So uh, it's it's had a good impact. One of the probably biggest impacts that I'm going to point to is that we've been able to raise our starting teacher salaries to compare with our local peer districts. And that's fairly significant at this point in history because currently in Tazewell and Mason County, we have 90 open teaching positions. And so being able to tr attract good teachers to our district is very important. And obviously salary is a large component of that. We talked about the past and so we've talked about the present and now I kind of want to talk about the future. If the state continues to invest $350 million into EBF each year, how will you be able to improve educational outcomes for students? I think that clearly we've made adequacy target gains, going from 64 to 71% in a short period of time. Uh, that, is, as I pointed out, has helped us add some additional dollars to our starting teaching salary. And I think the first key to improving um, student outcomes is being able to hire and retain good teachers in our district. And because we're fairly rural, it's at times a challenge to be able to do that. Teachers are naturally more attracted, I think, to, to places where there's more amenities that they can have for their families and themselves. And at times, uh, that's a detriment to our district. So being able to hire good teachers. And then the second key, I think, is we've been able to make some really strong curricular improvements based on what our data is telling us. And along with that, providing our teachers with good professional development. I think our teacher training programs have come a long way, in my opinion, in the last several years. However, I think any teacher or administrator would tell you that new teachers, uh, no matter what program they go to uh, through, they need some additional training uh, to really become that rock star teacher. So being able to provide that additional training and have the money to do that uh, has really improved what our teachers do in the classroom. Dr. Hellrogo, thank you for joining us on the ISA podcast. Thank you and have a good day.